I would like to remind us all today of the immortal words of the voice of a generation, Mr. Michael Scott. He, said, he posed his wisdom this way. He said, I knew exactly what to do, but in a much more real sense, I had no idea what to do. <laughs> How many of us have found ourselves in that situation where I can kind of, I know I'm, my hands are on the wheel, but I don't know where to turn. I find myself like that many cases in my life. Basically, any new semester back when I was in school, I forget every room I'm supposed to be in, every book I'm supposed to bring with me. Anytime I've gotten a job, whether I was working as a waiter at the YMCA or even as a worship pastor, sometimes I'll show up to work and wonder, okay, what am I supposed to do? What does it look like for me to be in the position I'm in right now? And I think we've all experienced times uh, in our lives where we kind of wonder, what does this role look like? What does being a student look like? What does being an employee or an employer look like? What does it look like to be a husband or to be a wife? What does it look like to be a parent? We go through all these stages of life and we have to ask ourselves, all right, what am I supposed to do? And like Ryan said in the announcement, we are living in very exciting times right now as next week we get to celebrate three years of real hope. It's been a miraculous blessing in my life and hopefully in the lives of so many in this room as well. And many times over the past three years, I have asked myself the very same question of what do I do? What does it look like for us to be a part of this church family? In fact, what does it look like to be a follower of God in general? And this is something that many of us need to reckon with in our lives as members of the whole church, but also as individual believers. And let me say, if if you've ever wondered what we're supposed to be doing while we're here on this earth. Don't worry, you're not in trouble. And that's why God has written it down in his word to give to us because there could be times where we have some ideas of, of my to-do list for the day, but in the grand scheme of things, we can wonder what is, what's the mission here? What's my goal here? But our God has given us his word so that he does not leave us in the dark on these sorts of things. That in his grace and faithfulness, he has given us a mission and the instructions that he has for us to carry it out. So that's what we're going to be looking into today. Exploring what the mission is and answering the question of what the church is meant to look like in the world. So in order to discover that, would you turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, if, you're, if you are looking for it, you're wondering where that is, it's right there where the arrow's pointing. So just find the arrow in your Bible and it will be next to it. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It is the first of four books known as the Gospels, which catalog the life and ministry of Jesus here on the earth. And this particular passage of Matthew that we're looking at is a part of a greater uh, message that he is giving, a singular sermon famously known as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is early on in his ministry, and he has already selected his 12 disciples and begun doing his work uh, around, around, you know, hither and yon throughout his ministry, and he's already started to build a bit of a, a gathering A large audience has already begun to follow him because of his miraculous healings and the teachings that he gives with these unheard of, unorthodox messages. And the Sermon on the Mount here is a prime example of the message that Jesus came to deliver. Namely, his message on the lives that his followers ought to live. So let's go ahead and begin here in chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. 
And if you're highlighting, let's get those ready because right out the gate, we're going we're gonna to interact with this passage here. Begins like this. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Go ahead and highlight that or underline that if you've got that in your Bible. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Highlight that as well. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So just a little... Uh, understanding of Jesus and the messages that he gave. He often spoke in metaphor. He would use real world objects or narratives to illustrate his meaning to his people rather than having to spell everything out uh, literally and verbatim. So when Jesus is saying salt and light, these are metaphors in order to illustrate and give some life, give some visual on what he's indicating for his followers to be. So let's kind of take it one metaphor at a time. Let's begin where he says, you are the salt of the earth. We should ask ourselves now, what is salt? In very bare bones, basic broad terms, salt is a mineral. It's an additive. We apply it or combine it with any number of things to meet any number of needs or to, for any number of purposes. We can mix it into food. We apply it to clothing and textiles. We use it in fertilizer and chemicals and all sorts of other things. In fact, there are at least 14,000 known uses of salt, and there will definitely be more to be discovered along the way. But see, the thing is, the difference between, you know, the year of our Lord 2019 and the year of our Lord whenever Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount Salt is kind of a different commodity between then and now in that we have, you know, table salt by the buckets or by the packets. But back in the first century, salt was actually a very rare resource. It was actually a precious mineral. And many people were actually paid in salt as their salary. That's where we get the phrase, man is worth his salt. It's because it was that valuable and that precious to them in those days. And so Jesus, by saying you are the salt of the earth, is first saying, hey, you are precious. You are valuable. You are rare and unique. And I have placed you and added you and am applying you to the earth intentionally for an intended purpose. So to understand that and understand our purpose, first we have to ask, what is the purpose of salt? It's not a trick question. What are some of the purposes of salt that we use? You can shout it out. Seasoning food. She got it. What's that? preservation. You guys are nailing it today. Yeah, our most common known use for it is seasoning. In fact, here in America, we've elevated the art of seasoning foods so much that salt itself has become a flavor. It has become the one thing that some things are known for tasting. Things are salty. It's because it's a noticeable additive to food. But its intended use as seasoning is not to make things taste like salt, but to elevate or enhance the flavor of what it's added to. It's meant to bring out the best in the food that we prepare and that we eat. So Jesus is saying, as salt, as the seasoning that I've added to the earth, you are meant to enhance life on the earth. Jesus desires to use his people as a blessing to 
bless others and enhance the world around us by elevating other people around us, by bringing the best out of them as God has designed them. We don't overwhelm them so much that they just take on the components of salt, that they just seem, look, and talk, and act like us, but rather to bring out the best in them, to elevate and esteem and enhance them and their lives by the way Jesus uses us. We also heard salt is a, a preservative. Back in the first century, they didn't have our freezers. They didn't have refrigeration. And salt was necessary in order to keep things from rotting or decaying. In fact, in the first century, a lot of salt is not as purified table salt as we know it now. It was actually enriched with other nutrients and other minerals so that some salt was even used as fertilizer. It was even used to help encourage growth of plants. And so Jesus is saying, look, you are my preservative and my life encourager here on the earth that in a broken world that is dying and decaying because of sin, I have sent you here to slow that decay to stop the rot and to even encourage new life to spring forth and growth in the people around you. Another component of salt, another attribute of salt is that it's cleansing. It's an antiseptic. It can be used to clean wounds. It can even be used to scrub off corrosion and impurities on surfaces. And so in a world that is wounded and corrupted by sin, Jesus is sending out his people as the salt of the earth to be a spiritual disinfectant, to carry his gospel for the cleansing of sin and for the healing of the wounds that it leaves behind. So not only that, but Jesus is saying, not only are you the salt of the earth and all of its uses, but you are the light of the world. Also not a trick question. What is light used for? Seeing, yeah, I'd, I'd be pretty invisible to y'all if the lights were out this morning, for better or worse. But yeah, light is meant to illuminate. It's meant to reveal things. It's meant to help us to see the world as it actually is. Not only that, but it's meant to demystify. It's meant to help guide and meant to help give focus and turn attention to something. And so as the light of the world, God has sent us to dispel darkness, to go into dark places and reveal the world as it truly is, as God says it is. He encourages us to let our light shine in our actions and in the truth of the gospel that we carry to direct attention to God in heaven. And through so, we can demystify so much of the confusion and so much of the frustrations of living in a broken world because of sin. Through that, just like a child who needs a nightlight to not be scared of the dark, we can be a light to let people know that they are safe. They are protected by a God in heaven who loves them. And through our light, we're not meant to point the spotlight on ourselves and say, look at my good works, look how great I am, but meant to turn attention to God. So that people would see our actions and see God through us. That we would give focus and give illumination and understanding of who our God is and what kind of work he has done for people on this earth. So this all sounds really great, doesn't it? God says, look, you're precious to me. You are purposeful to me. And you are being used by me. I placed you in this earth to serve as salt and light to direct people to God through your actions, through your good works. But what are those good works that we're called to do? 
Because a lot of this sounds, you know, metaphor is metaphor, and it sounds great rhetoric, but what are we supposed to do? How am I supposed to be salt and light in this world? Well, to answer that, we've got to take a couple steps back to the actual beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So turn with me uh, to verse 3. It's the same chapter. You may not even need to turn at all. Where Jesus lays out the list of traits and actions that he considers salt and light. So as we read, let's consider this a glimpse of what he means when he says to be the salt and light of the earth. So verse 3. Get your highlighters ready. There's going to be a lot to cover here. Jesus says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Highlight poor in spirit for me, if you would. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, highlight this, those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Blessed are, highlight this, the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who, highlight this, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled Blessed are the merciful, highlight the merciful, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are, highlight those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted uh, persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, some of you might be familiar with this list. You might have read it a lot of times before. We often, call, we often know them as the Beatitudes. And that word Beatitude means supreme blessedness. So this list is a list of things that bring supreme blessing, according to Jesus. And when Jesus says, blessed are the blank, blessed are the blank, that word blessed actually translates to happy. So he's saying, this is... These are the traits, these are the attitudes, this is the life that is pleasing to God and will bring happiness in God to those who follow it. But if you notice anything that kind of stands out about this list, I don't know about you, but this seems like a, a rare description of, of a lot of anyone in our, in our lives today, in the world around us. And if you read this list and feel like, yeah, this is kind of a controversial list or a very unpopular list of things to follow, you'd be in good company. You'd be in the same company as the first century audience that Jesus was saying this to. Because they have had much experience with attitudes and traits that are the exact opposite of what Jesus is talking about here. Because in the first century, the Jewish people were under Roman rule. They were under the command and occupation of an oppressive government that levied unfair taxes upon them, that would harass them, that would flex their muscles against the Jewish people to where they were not able to belong in their own land. They belonged to another. And not only that, but they were oppressed by church authorities as well. That the church leaders in the day was a group called the the Pharisees, and they were notorious for lording self-righteousness over the people. They were harassing the people, mistreating them and misguiding them and constantly judging and condemning others in order to make themselves look better. Not only that, but they would suck up to the Roman government so that they could take a cut of the profits. They were using their positioning as church leadership to kind of take the money and run and browbeat anybody they can along the way. And so 
if you were not in Roman government or in the church leadership, living in the first century basically lived, meant living underneath someone's thumb. It meant a life of mistreatment and oppression, both in your civil life and your spiritual life. And we kind of get a glimpse of this in the world today, that we are surrounded by injustice after injustice. We are surrounded by disparity and poverty and the world that is in need And so many people in the world are living and preaching that life is a zero-sum game. So I got to get mine no matter the expense at someone else's life. And so this is a very countercultural list. This way of life that Jesus describes is miles away from the way that the world has operated for centuries. But to hear Jesus tell it, that contrast is exactly the point. Because this is what it means to live as salt and light. You see, the reason why salt has 14,000 uses, the reason why it is so effective and good at what it does, is because it is unique and different from whatever is added to. Being salt means being different. The answer to our question at the beginning, what does it look like to be a part of God's church? It means we look different. Being light in the world means standing out. It means it's something noticeable. Likewise, being part of the church means we're supposed to be notable and different and stand out in this world. You see, because Christianity has something to offer the world, we have to offer a different way. It's the living way. It's the true way that is Jesus Christ. Throughout much of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as you read on in it, he keeps repeating this sort of phrase of saying, look, you have heard it said this way. You've been taught to live this way. But now I'm telling you, go and live this other way. Jesus was regularly in the business of taking what the world had taught is the norm or is the commonplace or is the right way to live and turning it on its head and showing the world instead what Jesus has to say, what God would have to say about how we would live and how he desires his world to be. See, because in a a world that elevates the proud, Jesus says, be poor in spirit. In a world that tries to flex its superiority and seem untouchable, he's saying, be humble. He's saying, recognize your spiritual neediness no matter how anyone else may posture. And in a society that sells pleasure at any cost and tries to tell you you need to live a life of security and luxury and what the world gives you in a material sense, Jesus is saying hunger and thirst for righteousness and be satisfied and content in the, in the pure heart that God gives you in all of his ways. And in a culture that says strike back, in a world that says get even, Jesus says, be merciful, be meek, show self-control and fight to forgive and make peace rather than try and win a fight. You see, Jesus has started this mission and he calls us to go boldly and be different in this world. And he has given us the tools and the instructions on how. Because you see, we have something that the whole world needs. We have the gospel of Christ. We have eternal life and salvation and transformation through Jesus. And our mission in life should be to take that thing that the whole world needs and display it as something that the whole world would want. That they would see our deeds and say, how do I get this? How do I have a life like yours? I've never seen anything like it. 
And that difference is going to be made known by living in a countercultural way that Jesus has described and that Jesus exemplified for us. You know, just last year, the United Kingdom hosted a parliamentary prayer breakfast with a keynote speaker, was renowned uh, Christian author and speaker, Dr. Tim Keller. And a little context on the backdrop of this, this is a YouTube video you can go to to watch his message. I highly encourage you to do it. The backdrop on this is that the United Kingdom at present, by best statistics, is less than 3% populated by anybody who would declare themselves a Christian. Less than 3% of the population professes faith in Jesus. Not only that, but the church is growing at a rate slower than 0.0% annually in that part of the world. So this is a world that is very much moved away from God, away from trust in him, and away from a life that honors him. And in that backdrop, Dr. Keller is asked to answer this question. What can Christianity offer our society in the 21st century? And the answer that Dr. Keller gives is actually straight out of this passage that we have read. He says what Christianity has to offer is that it is salt in this world. What it has to offer is its difference. In fact, he says this, our power in the world lies in our difference from it. And he gives a historical precedent of how the church has been at the epicenter of all kinds of changes for the better in the world and culture around us throughout history. He cites how the first known literature written about the abolition of slavery actually came from a bishop, Bishop Gregory of Nyssa, who wrote about how could we ever think to put a price tag on the image of God? How could we ever think to buy and sell something that God has fearfully and wonderfully made that bears the marking of a divine creator? And if you look back at any movement in history of human rights, women's rights, civil rights, dignity and protection for the unborn, dignity and protection for the refugees, for the homeless and the lost, the impoverished, serving those in disaster relief, and looking after the widow and the orphan, you will see God's people refusing to shrug these injustices off as just the way of the world. And saying, I'm not going to go with that flow. I'm not going to live on this autopilot. I'm going to look to the example of Jesus who saw a broken and unjust world and decided to do something about it and made a world of difference. You will see God's people when they're walking in Jesus' steps, when they're following this example and command to be salt and light, changing the world for the better, changing the world for the glory of God. And now we get to be called to be part of that beautiful legacy of Jesus and his great work on this earth. Even this church of real hope, we have this mission statement, is that we exist to join Jesus on his mission to transform lives. It's something that Jesus has started and we now get to participate in. So we get to look to his example and the impact that that has made in the world and in our lives and stand alongside him and continue to do that work today. But hold on, you might say. We looked at that list and we highlighted all that things. I couldn't help but notice the word persecution in there. I didn't like highlighting that. And hold on, you might say. Over the centuries of all this world, 
changing and all these cultural shifts, wasn't there story after story of hardship and suffering and martyrdom that came along with it? The honest answer is yes. Because this calling to be salt and light is a difficult calling. Because just because the world needs it doesn't mean that they will always accept it. The Gospel of John talks about how Jesus himself came into the world, but the world didn't recognize him, and the world did not receive him. You know, we talked about how salt can be used to to cleanse a wound, but we have a phrase, don't we, of rubbing salt into a wound? It's not a positive phrase, because rubbing salt in a wound can hurt. Treating a wound hurts because it brings attention to the hurt. It brings attention to the damage done. And I guarantee you, if you go into any room at 3 o'clock in the morning and switch on the lights, whoever else is in that room is not going to be happy you did that. (laughs) That's a promise. You don't have to go and try it. Because the thing is, being salt and light is a tough calling because it often doesn't look like it's working. A lot of times there's a lot of backlash involved in it. I'm not going to sugarcoat that for y'all. Because being salt and light takes perseverance. It takes real initiative and intentional effort to carry out this calling. And sometimes we're going to get rejected by a world that is uncomfortable with different. And we might end up getting hurt for it. We might end up being mistreated for trying to do the right thing and following God's commands. So make no mistake, this calling isn't easy. And it's definitely not automatic because we were in the world before Jesus came and saved us and showed us a different way. And so we have to intentionally and willfully choose to follow God and say, I'm not going to, to, to conform to the ways of this world like I used to. But it's difficult. And it's not a calling that we ever grow out of. We're not going to wake up one day and retire from being salt and light. And there are going to be times along the way that the ways of the world look simpler. They look appetizing. It looks easy and immediately gratifying to kind of just fall in step and go on autopilot for a minute. But let's revisit what Jesus says in the passage that kicked all this off. Back in verse 13, let's read it together. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything. Highlight that. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And highlight this sentence here too. Neither do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, Jesus is saying, I've saved you. I've given you eternal life. And I've given you my spirit to lead you in this world. And I have made you different so that you can go and make a difference. But if we walk out these doors and fall in step with a broken world, what difference can we expect to see? Jesus says that if salt, what makes salt powerful and potent is, what makes, is that it's unique, is that it's different. But if it loses what makes it a unique, it loses what makes it effective. After that, it's only good to be added to the pavement, to be tread upon by a world that is walking away from its Savior. Likewise, if a light is switched on, but then we immediately put a bucket over it, then what was the point of switching on the light in the first place? You see, we might feel hesitant at times, 
And we might not want to stand out or appear different because we perceive that there's some kind of risk involved, that there's consequence involved that we may not want to face or feel like we're able to handle at times. And to that, I want us to remember the risk and the consequence that Jesus faced. And he still willingly walked all the way to the cross to make a difference, to transform and save each and every one of us. He was willing to face the risk and face the consequence that it took and pay the price in order to make a new creation out of each and every one of us. In order to transform our lives and give us new life through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection out of the grave. It's an unimaginable price that has transformed our lives here and our eternal trajectory. And Jesus is saying, look, I have made you new. And it's a big deal what's been done in your hearts. And I want you to go and do something with it. I have enabled you to take this and do something with it. That what I've given to you is not a gift that you have to wait until eternity to unwrap and unbox and give to yourself and show to your friends. It's something that I give you now. It's something that has use now. And so I want to send you out right now to do something with it. This beautiful good news of the gospel. And is it difficult at times? Yes. But God has already met our greatest needs by being the opposite of a broken world. And so he's called us to go and do the same, to meet someone's need and show them the one who meets their greatest need by the way that we stand out in our difference from the culture and the world around us. And by his grace, he has given us the guidance and the instruction to do it. And it might feel difficult at times, and it might feel like it's not working at times, but look at Jesus again. Because when situations were most dire for him, when he was on the cross, any outsider would have looked and said, well, that failed. That didn't work out. But it was at that point that the greatest good was being done and the greatest difference was being made. So yeah, it's difficult at times. But remember also, this is Jesus's mission that we're a part of. And he is not going to sabotage his own mission by putting you up to something that he knows he cannot see you through or by sending you out with a mission that is yours and yours alone. Because this is not a solo mission. This is not a singular calling for you to go and enact by your own strength or by your own wisdom. You see, when Jesus rose from the grave, the last thing he said to his followers, in fact, it's the last sentence in the book of Matthew, Jesus says this, he says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a mission that we are filling, carrying out side by side with Jesus, with the one who began this good work in us. And he is working in our hearts still and working through us to complete that mission. And remember also with the list and the Beatitudes, every action and trait, every countercultural way of life that he recommended to us, he attached to a blessing. He attached to a promise. He says, if you walk this way, you will receive mercy, you will receive comfort, and you will receive righteousness from God. Walk this way and you're going to inherit the kingdom of God as one of his children you will belong in his household and you will see him through the way that he has purified your hearts and the way that you let that purified heart take action in the world around you. 
And not only that, but others are going to see how God is revealed through you in the way that you live. So we get to glorify the Father and see this family of faith expand in the ways that he will use us, in the ways that we will follow Jesus and faithfully live out this calling. And all along the way, we will get to know him more and more as the merciful, all-satisfying Father that he is. Jesus puts it like this uh, later on in this very sermon. It's going to be up on the screen. It says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God is saying you don't have to worry about the material needs. You don't have to hold off on the calling until you have enough in the bank or until your family situation has tied it over. He's saying, I am in the midst of all of that, just in the same way that I've called you to be in the midst of all the mess in the world around you. I'm at work everywhere. Everywhere that my people are, where they trust me and follow me, I'm going to be at work and I'm going to transform lives there. So seek my kingdom. Seek to walk in the righteous ways that I have made for you. And I'm going to take care of the rest. Because he has always been caring for us since before we've known him. And he always will care for us so that our hearts can be completely sold out for this mission. That in a world that is trying to build up its own kingdoms and they keep on collapsing, we get to seek and follow after the one unshakable kingdom, the one eternal kingdom, and invite others in through the way that we imitate our Savior. So what do we do today? How can we begin to be salt and light in the world around us? How can I begin to bless others around me, to bring out the best in them, to be a cleanser, a cleansing agent, an illuminating agent of our God? The first thing that I think we can do, and I think it's something that we ought to do always on a daily basis, is to remind ourselves of the gospel to remember the salvation that won us life. See, because we live in a world that is desperate for some good news, am I right? Doesn't seem like any positive story lasts for more than five seconds before another avalanche happens. The gospel, the word gospel literally means good news. And guys, it's it's good news that's never going to run dry. Nothing can cancel it out. Nothing can eclipse it. See, we have the miraculous life and salvation of Jesus, of God himself, dwelling within us, walking among us, speaking to us, and wanting us, giving us purpose and life to follow after him. Guys, I'm smiling because that's the most amazing thing I could ever imagine. I can't make up better news or a better story than the one that is written in the word of God. And we will never have a surer foundation on this earth to bring difference and bring transformation than the one that has transformed us. So we ought to remind ourselves of this gospel. Let it be the building blocks. Let it be the basis upon which our lives are built and upon our mission is carried out. And the second thing after we've reminded our gospel to ourselves and encouraged one another of it, We should ask ourselves, where does God call me to be salt? Where has God shown me a dark place that needs light? It could be anywhere, anywhere that God is saying, look, live differently than that. Could be the way that we address people in our offices at work. It could be the way that we respond to our spouses, our siblings, our children at home. For many of us here in Houston, it's probably somewhere 
on Grand Parkway or I-10 that God has called us to not walk in the ways of this world, to be different. It could be the way that we treat people on our campuses, in our offices, in our households. There's someone that God has placed in your life that he wants to place on your heart to show how different a life in Jesus can be and how worthy it is to follow in that life. And remember, child of God, you're not an only child. You have this whole church to walk alongside you, to lift you up in prayer, and to work with you to carry out this mission that our Father has given to all of us together. And in fact, one very simple way that we can do that this very week is by inviting somebody to come and, and, and participate in this gathering of God's children. And next week we're celebrating three years as real hope and we're celebrating with baptism which is a declaration and a symbol of the cleansing work and the transformation that Jesus and his gospel has brought. So if ever there was a time to, to invite somebody in to show that difference on display, it'd be next week. And it's not a time for us to, you know, because we want more people in seats to pat us on the back and say what a good job Real Hope has done the past three years. It's no, come and see what God has done. We want to shine all the light on him. We want to show that he is the one who's done all of this and will continue to do all of this. And we would love to see this family grow, to see our faith deepen and our passion for this mission continue to get reignited with every life that our God continues to win. And he allows us to watch and see as that happens. So actually in your baskets, we have these invite cards. And I would encourage you just to take a few of them as you leave today. And pray, who, who does God want me to invite to come here? I know handing someone something like this feels weird. I'm not a good recruiter, guys, and I'm very introverted. So, yeah, I, I sweat a little time I, I try to invite somebody. I'll admit that. But you see, if Jesus has done the impossible, if Jesus has done the unthinkable, then I can certainly be willing to do the uncomfortable. I can certainly be willing to, to put myself out of my instincts and out of a comfy chair, and to stand up and walk in the way that Jesus has walked. Because Jesus' sal salvation has made all the difference to each and every one of us. And he desires to make a world of difference through each and every one of us. Because he calls you precious. He calls you meaningful and purposeful. And he's shown you exactly how you can carry out that purpose. So we've been given this privilege of being the hands and feet of Jesus, of being salt and light in a desperate world. And God will use us to grow his family and to change the whole world so that through us, many will be made alive in Christ and would glorify our Father in heaven who has loved us all and will continue to love us all with an unfailing, unending, everlasting love.